www.thepeopleshow.com. Hi, Darwin Davidson here. Many thanks to all you fine folks who called into Bronzewound during our pledge drive last week. With your very generous help, WERU surpassed their financial goals for the first quarter of 2019. This week I will feature the music of some of the bluegrass bands that will be performing at Merle Fest 2019. Plus, I will also be giving away one four-day pass for Merle Fest 2019 to some lucky caller. All you need do to enter the drawing for that four-day pass is email me during the program. I will draw the name of the lucky winner right after the program ends. That email is bronzewound.darwin at weru.org. So please join me, Darwin Davidson, on Thursday, March 7th from 8 to 10 p.m. for a lot of great bluegrass music and a chance to win a four-day pass to Merrillfest 2019. And I'll also be playing tracks from new bluegrass CDs that have come into the station, plus more tracks from our new old CDs and a few tracks from my old bluegrass LPs. And it'll all be right here on Community Radio. That's WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. See you Thursday. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from George Stevens Academy, welcoming students to discover their world. More information at georgestevensacademy.org. It's 20 seconds after the hour of 10 o'clock here at WERU, and it's time for Main Currents. And this is Main Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. <clears throat> I'm Amy Brown. Today we're going to be talking about universal health care and how the folks at Maine All Care are working to bring it to the state and why. And at about 10.15, we'll be opening the phone lines and inviting you to join us and call in with your stories about how this issue is impacting your life, along with any questions for our guests who are Phil Bailey, the executive director of Maine All Care, and Lynn Cheney, a Maine All Care board member, retired business owner, and trained navigator for the ACA, otherwise known as Obamacare. It seems like not a day goes by that I don't get a flyer, see a flyer for a spaghetti dinner for someone's medical expenses or a social media GoFundMe page. Uh, last month, a disability rights activist uh, died after an insurance company refused to pay for an antibiotic she needed. She had muscular dystrophy. She needed a specific expensive antibiotic that her insurance company wouldn't pay for. They she ended up having a cascade of health effects and died as a consequence. You may have heard of that on Democracy Now! the other day. We've all heard the news reports of sudden spikes in prices of medications like uh, EpiPens and insulin. And meanwhile, the CEOs of health insurance companies are making tens of millions of dollars a year. So universal health care is being discussed quite a bit. And uh, we're here today to talk about whether or not it's really a viable solution here in the state and in the country. Uh, Phil, let's start with you. What is Maine All Care, and what are you all working on specifically? So Maine All Care <laughs> is the only organization in Maine who's... Oh, he wants you to get... Um, say, getting a signal that you need to get right up on the microphone. There you go. Thanks. Okay. So Maine All Care, uh, which can be found at maineallcare.org, is the only organization in Maine that is solely dedicated to bringing universal health care to every Maine citizen. Um, it was founded as an all-volunteer group in 2010. It has grown over the years, actually hiring staff, myself and one other, last year. And we now have 13 chapters throughout Maine, all volunteers who are working on this. We have collected um, almost 50,000 cards of support from people all walks of life, all demographics, uh, to say we support universal health care because our vision is that everyone is covered and no one is without care. If we're all in, it's affordable. All right. Lynn, Janie, would you like to add anything to that? Well, um, I agree. I, I, 
I actually became really in, uh, committed to this uh, uh, because I started out as an ACA navigator five years ago. Um, I was uh, stunned. Well, to back up, Maine is not the land of the W-2, so there are not as many people covered by their employer's health insurance. I mean, there are a lot, lot of, of independent farmers, there are a lot of fishermen out there. There are a lot of people who have are benefiting and have benefited. But I'm seeing increasingly, especially in the last two or three years, that uh, it's uh, the health care is unaffordable, particularly if you don't qualify for a subsidy, if you're $1 over that federal 400 percent of the federal poverty limit you could be paying up to half of your income in health care costs and that's just not doable there has to be another way of doing this and i believe uh that maine all care is absolutely correct in its belief that everybody should be covered nobody should be out and yes indeed it can be affordable are you looking at a medicare for all model or are you looking at something that could be enacted in the state first, even if the we're hearing some of the candidates for 2020 starting to talk uh, quite a bit about programs like Medicare for all. But until that happens, or if that doesn't happen, are you thinking that there's something that could take place just in the state of Maine? So a lot of a lot of efforts um, have started in individual states. Maine was the first state to pass marriage equality at the ballot box, and it spread rather rapidly after that. A perfectly good example would actually be our neighbor to the north. Um, Saskatchewan was the first province to pass universal health care at the provincial level. Within eight years, the other provinces in Canada were going, wait a minute, you're covering everybody for less? We want in. And that's how, that's how that actually happened. And when was that? How long ago was that? That was a little over 50 years ago. Um, the story is, is that Tommy Douglas, as a kid, had an incurable disease, was put in an experimental group, actually survived, became a Methodist minister, and later became the uh, prime minister of Saskatchewan, not known as the most progressive province in Canada. And he never forgot where he came from. He, with a big fight, got universal health care through. It spread across Canada. 20 years ago, they had a poll for who was the most popular Canadian. And it wasn't Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> it was Tommy Douglas. Wow. So universal health care is definitely possible. We're spending in this country roughly 18 to 19% of our total revenue, gross domestic product, goes to health care. Other countries are spending 10 to 12 percent. We're definitely on the losing end of that because our outcomes are not better. They're just costing a lot more. We can do it without it costing more. As a matter of fact, the average family would save considerably. And indeed, uh, Maine is not alone in working at this at the state level. Uh, there is a group of the one-payer states. There are 22 states at this point very actively uh, uh, pursuing this. Uh, and some have actual um, legislation uh, in, in, in front of them. New York State uh, is, is pretty far ahead. Um, Minnesota, California, but there, there are a number of states that are working at this. And both Phil and I participate on, a, um, uh, on conference calls where we share our information and strategy. Um, and so. in Maine, there uh, is certainly opportunity this year with a new administration, kind of a newer legislature. And in fact, I think the focus has come in that the Health and Human Services Committee was actually split into two committees. There's a new joint standing committee, Health and Insurance Financial Services, that was actually created to take a look at some of these bigger ideas. And later in this legislative session, there'll be five or six bills, we think, that will come up that will have some of these bigger ideas in mind. It doesn't mean that everything will fall into place this year, but it's an opportunity for the public to come and talk with their legislators, tell their stories, because there are so many stories out there in Maine of people who are paying outrageous amounts for the prescription drugs like 
insulin and EpiPens and so forth that they need to survive, as well as just grappling with insurance companies trying to get coverage. Right. Uh, we shouldn't have to. We shouldn't have to do that. Uh, my cousin in France, when I was visiting with him uh, a couple of years ago, uh, one day said, "Oh, I need to go to the doctor." I said, "Oh, you got an appointment? You got something wrong?" No, I just need to go. And we talked about it for a while, and we we found that, you know, he's ten years younger than I am. We make about the same money. He pays a little bit more in taxes. Uh, we couldn't quite figure it out, but about twenty five hundred, three thousand bucks a year. But his kids go to college for four years for free, and the whole family has health care. And I sat there thinking, 200 bucks a month? Sign me up. <laughs> like, I'm ready. And that's possibly why younger people don't have as much of a problem with the idea of socialism <laughs> than uh, older people do. But you mentioned that there are several possible bills in the state of Maine that are possibly going to be presented to this new committee. Are you at Maine All Care supporting any particular one? Are you involved in crafting any of them, or are you waiting to see how it plays out which ones work best? Or? We, have a, we have a legislative uh, committee, a policy committee, that's reviewing these bills as they come up, comparing them to our key principles of what should be involved in, uh, in universal care, and then just letting our members um, know with a one-page synopsis how these bills look like. But we're not picking you know, one bill to just focus in on and have that the be-all and end all. We want to encourage the legislators to have informed discussions and pass bills that are really beneficial for Mainers. It, what are, Lynn, what are some of the principles that are important to Maine All Care? Well, uh, first, uh, to have every Maine resident covered. Uh, and um, we, uh, so universal coverage. Uh, we have to have cost constraint, and that's a big thing. Uh, the Affordable Care Act uh, went uh, 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 quite a distance, but it has no mechanism to control prices, uh, and that's why it's not working at this point. Uh, it's become it's unaffordable. So there has to be some ability, centralized ability, to negotiate prices with drug companies and uh, with hospitals. Um, it needs to be comprehensive, uh, that all medical, uh, medically necessary care uh, is covered, including preventative care. Portable is huge. You should not be tied to an employer uh, for your health insurance and then worry about, oh, my God, I've got a, you know, I'm at a dead-end job, but I can't leave this because of my benefits. It needs a, the coverage needs to be portable, not tied to employment. Um, Provider-directed. Uh, Physicians should be able to direct their care. Uh, right at this point, uh, at, uh, your, your insurance company is is really directing your care. The the, the doctors can uh, you know they, they they have to be cleared uh, by an insurance company as far as what they feel is 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 a correct uh, a correct approach for the oh, patient. Oh, they spend a large amount of time or have employees who do it for them, spending an awful lot of time, not with patients on patient care, but on billing issues. There is, there is actually, uh, currently, every doctor spends approximately $85,000 a year uh, in a staff administration uh, behind him negotiating back and forth with uh, the yo-yoing back and forth with insurance companies. In, in a universal plan, those costs would be dramatically reduced, which is w one huge way uh, to answer, can we can we afford this? It's basically um, we can't afford anything else. You know, um, patient choice. Uh, you should not be an in network, out of network, whatever. You should be able to see the doctor that you want to see and the hospital that's appropriate for you to go to. Um, and our feeling is that healthcare is a public good. Uh, it, it, it should be delivered uh, uh, just like uh, education, uh, uh, roads. Uh, it's, it's something that everybody is going to need, and it should be a public, considered a public good. I'll give so. a for instance on that, which is when we have to call the sheriff or the fire department, they do not answer and say, have you paid your $5,000 deductible this year? Right. It should be the same. You don't have why to stop and think about that before you call Why is health care left, left right. out? Right. And what are the numbers currently? Uh, back when I was, I was realizing the other day, this 
ages me a bit. It was 25 years ago. I was in grad school for social work, and the social policy question that we were assigned at that time was dealing with the crisis of uninsured in the country, which I think was maybe 15 million at the time. I printed out an article uh, from Health Affairs, uh, healthaffairs.org. It's a blog uh, following the ACA, and the numbers they were saying was about 44 million people now in the country without any kind of health insurance. Does that sound right? And do you have a sense of how many in the state? That that number has actually um, gone down a little bit, but the key with ACA. is is that even with people who are covered by insurance now, it's the underinsured that is. We can't yeah. afford the current system that we're in. That um, and the reason for that is the high administrative cost or in the for-profit private insurance market. Medicare's overhead is between one and three percent. Private health insurance is 17 to 25 percent and that's of trillions of dollars. There's just a vast amount of money that is not being used the way it should be used. So one of the ideas for instance within universal health care is to have a general hospital budget. A hospital would get X amount of money from the government to run the hospital for a year. They get to figure out how that money is used, and it doesn't have to be on a negotiated fee per service. So they just figure out how to do it. This is an experiment that has already been started in Maryland quite successfully and is saving money. So the, the key is that with all of these principles, we can save money and have more health care, not less. All right. That makes me wonder about the rationing question, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But I want to give out the phone number. If you're just joining us, this is Maine Currents on WERU. I'm Amy Brown. My guests today are from Maine All Care. We have Phil Bailey and Lynn Cheney with us. We'd love to hear your stories about how you're coping with uh, health insurance, health care. Is that a financial burden to you and your family? Maybe you're doing fine. And, you know, if that's the case, you know, call in as well. Let us know if you think the system is working. Uh, if you have any questions for these folks, if you have any thoughts about universal health care in general, give us a call. The number is 469-0500 if you're local. Again, 469-0500 or you can call the toll-free number 1-866-625-9378. Again, uh, call 469-0500 or 1-866-625-9378. Let us know your experiences with the healthcare system or any questions for my guests here in the studio. Looks like we do have a call coming in. We'll uh, keep the calls going until about 10 minutes of 11. So if you don't get through right away, keep trying. We have Will and Wells. Welcome to the program, Will. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? Good, thanks. Do you um, have a question or comment? Oh, uh, I was just calling uh, on behalf of uh, small businesses in Maine. Um, I started my business three years ago. And one of the greatest uh, inhibitors, me being able to start the business, was whether or not I could get health insurance. Um, and there were no affordable options for me. Um, I don't have a working spouse, so I couldn't get access to that way. Um, so I went the first couple of years without health insurance, and it was really risky. And one, uh, you know, accident or hospital visit could really, you know, ruin all the hard work I put into my business. So. Um, in fact, I did actually have an emergency, and I had to go to the hospital, and I couldn't because I didn't have health insurance. So um, I'm really, as a small business, in support of this um, all-care initiative. So I'm excited about it. You are in support of it. Yeah. So that's such a great question because if we actually had health coverage literally from birth throughout life, Young people like yourself, Will, that you sound like, would not have to worry about starting a business, would not have to have that hanging over them. Our businesses spend, once they're able to have employer health care, 8 to 12% of their general revenue goes back out for health care benefits. In other countries, it's about 4 or 5%, much more, much more affordable. So if we had everyone covered, entrepreneurs could start a business and not have to worry about that. 
and that's one of the big reasons that that could actually be an economic driver for Maine. We want our children and grandchildren to stay and work in Maine, but it's tough because lots of good people with good ideas for starting businesses go, well, I won't have health insurance. We can take that, we can actually take that completely out of the picture and take that worry away. I have to admit, myself in my working life, I have gone probably a third of the time without coverage. <laughs> and when I got Medicare last year, I went, wow, this feels so much better. As why, <laughs> why should it not be for everybody? As an ACA navigator, it's just it's 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 heartbreaking to most of the people I work with can't wait to turn sixty five, and that just shouldn't be. You know, you shouldn't have to worry about it or or think I want to get older. The other thing, as a navigator, I found, and particularly in the last two years, that more and more small businesses are finding it unaffordable to cover their employees. And so I've gone in and, and worked with the employees one-on-one, but it's very sad to see that, uh, right. you know, that transition, and it is happening. Yeah, well, before we let you go, let me just ask you quickly if uh, you have employees, if that has been a factor, you know, as I was hearing this argument uh it played out last week or the week before about paid sick leave for uh, part-time workers in the state. I thought also having health coverage is enough. Both of these things to me seem like issues where do you really want someone showing up at work who hasn't had adequate health care, even just for purely selfish reasons? <laughs> I mean, obviously you care about your coworkers. They're people that you know. You want them to have health care. But from the standpoint of, you know, their interaction with you and with your clients and uh, people being contagious because they can't get any care, they can't take a day off. I mean, are these factors you consider in whether or not you employ someone? Oh, uh, absolutely. Um, as I try and grow my business, that's like the biggest hurdle is figuring all that out. The fixed expenses of having to cover, um, you know, uh, the benefits of paying it out. It's hard to grow the business when you have these fixed costs, especially when they're so expensive. Um, as a, I've been an employee, and I've you know I've had bills already myself. So when I go into work um, at other jobs, it, it's distracting. Um, it affects my performance when I'm thinking about all the things in my personal life that I have as is that I'm dealing with. And then if you have these huge hospital bills that you have to pay, you know it's just a detraction from your ability to perform adequately on your job. So I think all small businesses should really be more vocal about better system because you want your employees to get healthy. You want them back on the job and to be able to focus on what they do best and not be distracted. Um, mm-hmm. That that just seems to me like a given. I'd really hope to hear other small businesses be more vocal about that. Well, thanks for calling in. Well, appreciate yeah, your thanks. call. Appreciate and uh, if anyone else does want to join the conversation, 469-0500. Again, 469-0500 is the easy number. If you want to be complicated because you just are like that, the number you can call in toll-free is 1-866-625-9378. We have Lynn Cheney, a board member for Maine All Care, and Phil Bailey, the executive director of Maine All Care, here with us in the studio. And, uh, Phil, you were about to say something. Um, I was just going to add, Will, you're in good company out of the almost 50,000 people who have signed cards of support for universal health care. That includes... 1,300 self-identified business owners and 1,600 healthcare professionals. So you're in, you're in good company, and you can go to our website, mainallcare.org, um, and sign up to indicate support. We have 13 chapters uh, throughout, uh, throughout Maine, and I was trying to think of WERU's listening area, uh, that includes an Ellsworth MDI chapter, a Down East chapter in Blue Hill, Belfast, uh, Rockland, Brunswick. Um, I'm probably forgetting. Brunswick's pushing it a little bit, I think. But Brunswick is Bangor. <laughs> yeah. Bangor um, is in our range. So several in Augusta, all, all in the uh, WERU listening area. So you can become involved on a local level as well, and uh, we try and keep you updated. All right, we have Judy from Belfast. Welcome to Maine Currents, Judy. Hi there. Do you have a question or a comment about universal health care in Maine? Um, I do. I, I've been a nurse my whole life, and I've been at the part of catching the people who come out of the hospitals, like 
skilled nursing kind of thing. And I have to say, you know, it's been horrendous. It's awful. And I don't think we should fund something without really looking at what are we doing. And for me, when I look for my health care, I don't want to create waste. The plastic and needles and waste is beyond, beyond. And when we're looking at this whole scheme of what's going on, we can't separate out pieces. We have to work with a whole. And I think nurses, as the you know, most respected and trusted profession for like 15 years in a row, need to be talked with. And they, they need to be able to say what's going on. Yeah, that's a good point. So there's a lot of systemic waste or redundancy or just things that don't make sense, I think is what you're saying, that if we're going to overhaul the system, need to be taken into account? Right. I want care. I want care separated from medical. And I want people to be able to choose what they want. You know, I am never going to pay to have a, a scope. I just don't want it. None of that stuff. And I think there's a lot of people like that. All right. Well, uh, did you have any uh, anything else you want to add or any questions for the folks from Maine All Care? Well, I, I would love to open up the discussion to, you know, these Democrats who are waving around their arms and saying, wait a minute. Let's talk about it all before we make a decision. And I think stopping what we're doing and just saying, wait, what needs to happen here? And we start in nursing with food and shelter and safety. All right. You bring up some interesting points. Thanks for your call, Judy. Thank you. And the number, again, is 469-0500 if you'd like to join the discussion. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think that probably if you're looking at changing the whole funding system, one of the things that she didn't mention this specifically, but uh, I know it's part of the discussion that I hear from people when we're talking about this issue, is choice of things beyond just the uh, typical uh, medical establishment approved things that also maybe are proven therapies. You'd want to be sure you're paying for something that actually has some body of evidence that it works, not just I think I would feel better if I had a therapy goat. Um, although I think that probably is proven effective. It would be for me. But um, so, so will there be, or is this going beyond the scope of what this is big enough, what you're tackling on its own, some reworking of, you know, covering things that are alternative or looking at waste or? The latest, the actually the latest Medicare for All bill that has been introduced in Congress with 100 co-sponsors uh, not only covers what we think of as, as Medicare, what Medicare coverage, but also coverage a large part of vision, dental, and um, some alternative therapies, and most importantly, long-term care. We have not addressed long-term care in this country. As a matter of fact, the um, most of what is actually expended in Medicaid because Medicare does not cover long-term care, goes for, uh, in Medicaid, goes for long-term care. So people have to basically impoverish themselves, um, sell off their assets to be able to uh, get long-term care because otherwise they're paying exorbitant amounts per month. So we can, again, this is the, an issue of, we can cover everyone in this country for less than what we're spending now and include long-term care. It's the benefit of having everybody in the package. It's fairly amazing that Medicare, which has the oldest population, has the lowest administrative costs. <laughs> the benefits of having everybody in the pool comes in. Right, right. Uh, David from Brooklyn, welcome to Maine Currents. Hi, uh, thanks for the chance to call in, you know, it's a really important part of citizen uh, membership here in the station. I'm, I'm glad, to, glad to be able to do it. Uh, the, uh, the caller right previous to, to my call really uh, woke me up, uh, pulled me right out of my uh, half-conscious uh, filing project that I'm in the midst of. And uh, I, I had to uh, phone in my uh, hearty agreement and assent to what I uh, think I heard her say. 
uh, and I, I would, you know, the, I'm all, I'm all down about the, you know, uh, 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 blanket coverage, medical, you know, uh, under under Social Security, I get Social Security myself, and I, I recently discovered I, I, I could get the uh, the Quimby program, uh, which is sort of not really well known, I think, uh, in, in a lot of areas out there. Uh, Both uh, of my guests are shaking their head no. So do you want to explain what, is what that? that is? Yeah, no, no, not right now. I just w- wanted to get to my point, which was that, uh, uh, oh, they don't know what it is? No, no, they're saying, what is oh, it? Oh, it's, it's an adjunct to the uh, to the main care uh, package, uh, which uh, covers some things that uh, that you, you might not be able to have covered if you if you didn't have main care, which I don't. Uh, but the Quimby program can pick up some of the pieces, uh, and uh, it, it you know it needs to be looked into. Uh, for people who fall in that, you know, like uh, uh, awkward and wide span between too little and too much, uh, you know. Oh, um, the QMB program, I think, is what's right. yes. That's the uh, qualified Medicare Medical beneficiary. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay, but I, as I say, I did not want to talk about that specifically. I, what I wanted to ask, uh, ask, assert was my agreement with the previous caller, and I wanted to. Uh, put out there the reason that I think a lot of us are a little bit reticent about state-funded uh, uh, medical care is that we're worried, not that we're selfish, not that we don't want our taxes attached by the state, not that we're anti-socialist, none of that. Uh, more that we don't want ourselves to become uh, regulated by a... Uh, uh, a, a state uh, bean counter or by any other kind of counter so, so as to say, well, if you want coverage, you've got to go get a colonoscopy. If you want coverage, you've got to get a, a, a monthly or a yearly physical. All these, you know, uh, restrictions that are put onto, that can be put onto coverage that cause us out here in the uninsured majority uh, to if I can hold my thought together here, to uh, worry about things that we're pretty much all right not having to worry about. I don't care what's going on in my colon. I just do not know until it takes me out, you know. And I don't want to have to find that out in order to be certified. Uh, so that's that's one thing. I'm, I'm worried about over-regulation of my, men- of my mental, physical, and uh, dental and mental even put that in there. Uh, Has Medicare tried to do any system. of that? Well, actually, I can. I am. I, I have Medicare, so okay. I can speak directly to that. This is Lynn David. Hi, I'm your neighbor. Uh, I live in Blue Hill. Hi, Lynn. Uh, hi. Um, I've been covered under Medicare for ten years now, and uh, I can assure you that Medicare does not force me to have any kind of medical procedure whatsoever. I can have whatever I choose, and if I choose not to have something, that's fine too. Uh, so I yeah. don't, I, that, that's not, Good. I don't think that's envisioned in any uh, universal health care system Excellent. that I've seen. I'd like to say that's also been my experience mm-hmm. because I'm also covered by, by Medicare, and, and it has been very non-invasive. I, also, one more thing, before I run out of time, I I heartily assent to the previous caller's uh, 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 request for alternative care because here out here in the uninsured majority, we've had to evolve all kinds of alternative care, such as diet, such as pet goats, such as acupuncture, you name it, you know. Uh, And they they all require practitioners, and the practitioners all need to be supported. And uh, I, I don't know. There's uh, there's all there's options for extra insurance which one can uh, purchase, which would cover extra uh, uh, medical indulgences. But I don't know if there's any medical insurance I could purchase that would cover that kind of optional indulgence. And I'm interested in in uh, ha- having some. And my friends who do practice acupuncture and Reiki and uh, uh, massage and, you know, all the alternative cares, which, you know, uh, Mayan uh, abdominal, you know, 
there's there's hundreds of them, and they they all work for different people. And to say that this or that is okay, but not the other, is okay. uh, really limiting and dangerous. All right, thank and, you, thank you for your call, David. We're going to take a, another call and and move along, but appreciate your uh, input. Uh, Judy from Belfast is back with us again, maybe to clarify some of what we're trying to interpret of what she was saying earlier or add something. Welcome well, back, Judy. I, hello. Yes, can you hear me? Yeah. I I really like the way that this conversation's going. And for me, I think in order to have equity in health care, we need to look at what people do and not just what we can give them and how much money we can make. You know, I went to a, a, a tax finance person and and they're like oh medical you always make money in medical it's like wow yeah of course we do you know and the same thing with the drug companies 30 years ago i sat around a table with all these drug pushers and they they were buying this and doing that and they were having a hell of a good time and you know i'm a nurse making ten thousand a year staying up all night and i don't care but we have to get real here on so many levels so, yeah, so Judy, I think the, that's... the medical people went astray back with Rockefeller, and the same with the oil. All right, um, thank you. Thank you for your call, Judy. We're going to open up the phone lines if anybody else would like to take a shot at it, too. The number is 469-0500, and we have Phil Bailey, who I'm interrupting. He's going to get to him in just a second. He's the executive director of Maine All Care, and Lynn Cheney, a board member for Maine All Care, and also for many years an ACA navigator here in the studio to answer your questions or to hear your stories about dealing with the health care system. We're talking about universal health care today. Go ahead, Phil. Sure. So we're the only major country that has a health care system that is designed around profit. Get closer to the microphone. Uh, instead of, uh, instead of health care. So we're the only country that does it that way. And there's an interesting backstory to it, which is um, FDR, um, uh, when he was when he was president, Francis Perkins was his longest-serving cabinet member, a woman with close association with Maine, and they came. They had two plans. One was for to establish social social security, and the other was to establish a national health plan. And they realized they had the political capital to get one through Congress, but not both, and they chose. Social Security, so thank goodness that we have that. Um, that's why we don't have a national health plan. Both Democratic and Republican presidents have tried at different points to get national health care through, haven't been able to get it through because of the intense financial lobbying by, in particular, the medical insurance and pharma industries that have driven costs pretty much over the cliff. So we're now at a point where it's really people who have their own health care stories, who care about this issue, who can help to move political leadership so that we can actually have a plan that works for everybody. I, I, I agree, and, and I, I can't tell you how strongly I feel this is not going to be, uh, we're not going to be led to this. Our, our leaders, our politicians are not going to make this happen. We have to make them make it happen. It's going to, it's going to be from the ground up. And yes, you do need to tell your stories. And I hope that we will hear some. I certainly hear plenty. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, it, 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 we, we can't keep on the way we're keep, where we're going. All right. Again, it's Maine Currents and WERU. And the phone number into the studio is 469-0500. John Greenman's standing by, waiting to take your call and patch you through. Are you struggling to pay for health insurance? Uh, maybe you have health insurance, but your deductible is so high, it's you know only there in case of a major catastrophe. Is that working for you? Do you have the money to pay out of pocket for what you need? Uh, maybe you are a small business owner, don't have insurance at all, having a hard time uh, with uh, paying for insurance for your employees, or maybe you think the system's fine and you want to call and defend it. Wherever you are in the spectrum of that, if you want to join the discussion, give us a call. Again, it's 469-0500. So talking about the finances and paying for that, uh, how you mentioned, Phil, that you visited someone in France and you compared what the taxes were like I remember from that social policy class 112 years ago that there was uh, 
there were many extraneous costs that we don't think of that would be reduced if there were universal health care. For instance, your, even your car insurance has a component built into it to pay for hospitalization, uh, to pay for somebody else's hospitalization. If you got into an accident with them, you wouldn't have to have that. Uh, medical malpractice is somehow built into the system. So those fees that are jacking up prices because the doctors have to pay like really high rates for medical malpractice. Uh, other kinds of employer liability, having to worry about uh, worker comp kinds of things. If you're going to get health care anyway, you don't have this whole system uh, for trying to get figure out who gets sued to have to pay for the accident. Are there other things like that that people don't think of that become that offset the taxes that go into I paying have one. For- I'm I'm sitting on the town budget committee right now for Blue Hill and was stunned to find that over 8% of the school budget and which is the the lion's share of the the tax money that goes out of Blue Hill, it goes to pay health insurance for the employees. That's 8%. That's a huge amount. Which does not mean that we don't want employees to have coverage. We want everyone to have coverage. But there are those additional um, additional areas that come into come into this. State employees have a health insurance plan that's coming out of eventually our income and property taxes. If we had everyone in the same pool, the national survey shows that there's seven hundred and fifty billion dollars a year that basically is waste and abuse through the medical system that if we didn't that if we actually had health and if we actually had health coverage for everyone those costs would come down dramatically and that's why there's we don't have to put additional money into the system not at all we actually there's enough money in the system it just needs to be redirected towards health care and to help hospitals and to help medical practitioners rather than where it's going now, which is to drive up stock prices and dividends and CEO salaries and all of the rest of that that go with it. So we have the, we absolutely have the capacity, and that's one of the kind of frustrating things when you look at it from an economic point of view. We're blowing this in a big way. There are other countries in the 90s, um, in specifically Taiwan and Switzerland, that put commissions together to look at how the rest of the world does health care and to build their own model. The first model that they rejected was the United States because they said, our goal is to provide health care for everyone. It's a moral and economic imperative, and the United States is operating on a for-profit basis and it's not really delivering health care. Well, for-profit corporation, their only responsibility is to their their shareholders. I mean, that Precisely. is what they That's exist for, right, mm-hmm. is to is to make money. So these CEOs get, I don't know if this is still the case, it's been a few years since I've looked at this, but I remember one of the major CEOs getting quite a large bonus for keeping costs down. They don't keep costs down by necessarily running more efficiently, but these claims and the hoops that you have to jump through to get your claims paid and so forth. And so with a uh, national program, you hear, though, a lot of concerns and scarce stories from places that do have nationalized health care about rationing and having to wait forever to have a procedure done. Um, I have to say I don't necessarily see that from the people that I know who live in Canada, those kinds of complaints, but you do hear those stories shared. What's your response to that? Well, the U.S. has the most rationed health care system in the world at this point, simply because we have so many people who are either uninsured or underinsured, so they simply are not able to access, financially access their health care. So I, I do that as a, a bottom line. Um, I recently, well, last year I did a cross-Canadian railroad trip with my family, and um, I, I spent a lot of time intentionally sitting next to people I didn't know and chatting them up and uh, asking them about their how they felt about their health care system. It was sort of my one-person interview. Um, and 
there was not a single person. There would be a, well, yes, uh, uh, so-and-so, my cousin waited for a knee replacement or whatever, but every one of them would uh, categorically said, we, 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 we want to keep our system. We would not want your system. So that's... <coughs> And this is and this is world this is world over. Um, it's there's any number of analyses that show that countries that have universal health care, no matter what, whether it's Great Britain, um, neither the conservatives nor the liberals in Great Britain will touch the national health care because people like it because it works. Um, my oldest son lived in Spain for 16 years. Um, his, uh, uh, his children were born there. One of them was a complicated pregnancy. It all got taken care of. His total cost was $600 out of pocket for you know, a week-long stay in the hospital and, and so forth for his wife. Um, in in uh, Canada, I had, we had a house party. We had a discussion. It was a doctor who said she spent at least 20% of her time on the phone with insurance companies trying to get them to work, come up with some kind of workaround so she could actually treat her patients. Another woman there uh, raised her hand and said, well, I want to make a comment on Canadian health care because I had a baby there. And she raised her hand and she said, they charged me 56 cents for the hospital bracelet. So for anyone who has visited Canada, Canada has a value-added tax. Part of that goes in to support the universal health care system. And yet Canadians enjoy better health and better health care than we do. So again, this is, a, this is a social movement. This is a movement of people coming together and saying loudly and clearly, we can do better than this, and it can be economically beneficial as well. They pay about half the amount that we do per person in healthcare. With prescription drugs kind of shifting focus here a little bit, uh, if you could speak to how that would work with a national plan, but then more specifically, if Maine were to attempt to pass some type of universal health care coverage ourselves, would we have the leverage to deal with the insurance companies and make sure that everybody still could get the medications that they're requiring and wanting to take uh, within just a main system? So the short answer to that is um, you have the situation now where there are these groups called pharmacy benefits managers. They negotiate with the pharmacies on behalf of a large company or, or group to negotiate those prices. Um, Medicare is prohibited uh, by federal law from negotiating with pharmaceuticals. So that is one area where there's a bill that's been introduced backed by both parties to take that uh, objection away so that Medicare could negotiate directly with pharmaceuticals. So they if can't the, negotiate now, meaning they can't work on getting prices precisely, lowered? Precisely. Precisely. <laughs> it's... it's obscene. It's, it's honestly, honestly, honestly obscene. There are a lot of pockets lined to get that in there. there right. That, right. So the top three lobbying groups that spend billions of dollars uh, a year, remember that there are something like 20 lobbyists for every single member of Congress. Um, and I'll just uh, wrap this up by saying the state of Maine, if we had universal health care, could negotiate directly with pharmaceutical companies and probably be able to obtain the rates that our neighbors in Canada do. All right. We have a call uh, from Brian in Farmington, and we'll take Brian's call. I think we've got another one behind it. That may be all we have time for today. Go ahead, Brian. What's your question or comment? Um, thank you very much for this show. Um, I'm uh, 71, and I'm a retired state employee. Um, and um, and I, I, before I say, ask my question, I, I am totally 100% for Medicare for all. Um, I have, thank God, I have good health insurance. I have um, Medicare rolled in, rolled right in with an insurance company. And I've said for many times, I've said that everybody should have what I have. 
Um, I have a specialist down in uh, uh, Scarborough, uh, a cardiologist specialist, and I have other important specialists that, of course, I want to keep. My question is to the guest, with Medicare for All for the United States, can, would people, what would happen with people who have their own health insurance that, that, that are that excellent that they like, um, and will they get the same coverage that I get now? and that like state employees, uh, teachers, federal employees, and so forth and so on. Brian, before you hang up, uh, you mentioned people who have a health insurance plan that they like. I actually have never heard anybody say they like their health insurance plan more. So you mean like what it covers or who they can see? Is that what you're talking about? Yes. And, okay. and, and, and believe me, I still have to fight with my insurance company. So I do not like that. Right. Part of that. But it's something that I have excellent insurance. I'm a state of Maine employee, a retired state of Maine employee. Everybody should have what I have. But the question is, and I think a lot of other people have this question, what happens to us under Medicare for all? Will we get the same benefits that we have now? All right. Thank you for your call, Brian. And I think that'll be the last uh, call we'll take. We'll give you both a chance to respond to that, and then we'll uh, start wrapping up. So the, the short Phil answer Bailey. is um, under under Medicare for All, every Maine resident would choose their providers and their hospitals. One of the bills that's coming up in the uh, session would actually open up the state employee plan and allow small businesses and entrepreneurs to buy into it. Uh, so that's one of the things that's being studied. That's and under- who's that administered by? The state employee plan is that administered who like is that through an insurance company or is that a public? It's a, it's through it's it's a private insurance company that administers that it. Administers it. Okay, yeah. sorry. Yep. Um, so those those are two of the options that are that are coming up um, under under Medicare for all. We actually get more choice rather than less. Um, when I uh, uh, I had Medicare last year. First time I ever had an accident, I broke my wrist. I went to one hospital for emergency care. I went to another hospital to have the surgery done. No one said, it. oh, you've got Medicare? You're fine. Well, and also, Brian, um, there, there, there's no one plan out there. There, 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 there. there are a lot of them. But everything I've seen that, that is sort of under this general umbrella actually has a, a, a greater coverage. For instance, Medicare right now, I don't have dental or vision a coverage, but I see these in uh, the plans that are out there. Long-term care is also not included in Medicare, and I do see these in the plans out there. So I think likely you're going to see more, a broader coverage package than you have now. Okay. I have another, one more question before we wrap up. And when we do wrap up, I'll ask for specifics back to your website and also um, a if there's any way people can follow the legislation, if you have a page there for following the legislation. But uh, in talking about universal health care, one of the things that uh, is commonly discussed is whether or not health care should be considered a basic right. And I wonder if, I, I know we were talking before the program about sort of the trope of uh, entitlements and the reaction, the backlash uh, programs like Social Security were called entitlements because people are entitled to them because they paid into them. However, that's been twisted around now, and there's sort of a trope on social media that this is not an entitlement. I get to have it because I paid into it because people think of the word entitlement as being like this negative personality trait rather than, no, really, you are entitled to have this. And so with that kind of backlash, I think the rights you know, it's a basic right gets tied up in with the same folks who have that kind of reaction to entitlement. I wonder if uh, that really is something that's playing out as you talk to people who are opposed to it, or do you stay away from that language entirely? Is it even part of your mission within your organization to talk about health care as a right? What we say is that it's actually a public good over profit, that health care should be delivered as a public good, as a basic necessity, like roads, police, fire department, education, it should be part of that package, like it is in so many in so many other countries. Um, that's why I said earlier, when you call the police or the fire department, they don't ask you if you paid your deductible for the year. It's a public good. 
Okay, so you're, not, you're, so you're avoiding the whole rights language necessarily. That seems like it could be something that would, for some people, be a distraction. It could. It, it could, and, and, and this shouldn't be a political question. Um, I mean, it's a common sense question. You're already paying for the uninsured that shows up in the emergency room at the highest level of cost that could possibly happen, and it's coming out of all of our pockets in, in tax dollars. Um, we're, we're looking at uh, just the, the most reasonable way to, to operate this. Um, so just a couple minutes to wrap up. You want to take, you know, two, three sure. minutes so to use would, Phil would and love, then we um, can have the last word. Yeah. Phil um, Bailey. Invite, invite the audience to check out MainAllCare.org. Follow us on Facebook. Um, you can sign up at MainAllCare.org. When you sign up, you have an option of joining our legislative team. What will happen then is you'll just get an email when some of these major bills are up, and we can encourage you to uh, testify in Augusta. Basically, that's just telling your three minutes on an issue, your personal story. So for Will and Brian and everybody else who called in, you can you can talk to your legislators. We've already had um, seven legislative forums to date, very well attended with legislators from both parties, well attended by, by the public. And again, you can join Maine All Care um, and sign up to join, join local your local chapter, chapter right. <laughs> um, and participate. Uh, this is something where, again, we're collecting the signatures and we're talking with people and we find a big difference between now and five or six years ago when universal health care was looked at a little bit suspiciously. Now the reaction most of the time is people go, well, of course, it mm. makes sense. Right. Lynn Cheney. Yes, it does make sense. Uh, but we still need to, uh, we need to get the hearts and minds of people. Uh, we need to have people educated. Uh, we have to have people inoculated, if you will, against the huge amount of money that's going to be spent. And as st we're starting to get the, uh, a major attention nationally from the pharmaceutical uh, 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 companies from the, the the large insurers, they are they are concerned. This is going to hit them, uh, and uh, but and, and there's going to be a lot of messaging out there that's uh, uh, going to be really scary. So people need to know the facts before that comes out. All right, and uh, you have a pile of cards over here on the chair. You've mentioned them before. What is that for? Where are they going? Um, so these these cards uh, were collected in this area on election day. Um, so they go into our uh, database. We can stay in touch with people. The cards themselves actually go to a storage unit. So we have boxes and boxes of them, as I mentioned, almost 50,000. Um, we would like to get 200,000 in, in Maine, and um, we're, we'll just deliver them um, to legislators to Augusta at an appropriate at an appropriate time but it's an expression of support for people who say we've had enough of this system we've had enough of paying thousands of dollars a month just to have any kind of peace of mind we actually should have a health care system that works for everyone all right well, thank you both for joining me today. It's been, uh, you just heard last from Phil Bailey, the executive director of Maine All Care, and prior to that from Lynn Cheney, a board member for Maine All Care. The website, again, is maineallcare.org. And you've been listening to Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. John Greenman is our studio engineer. I'm Amy Brown. Join me at 10 on the first Thursday morning of every month. You can send story ideas and feedback to news at weru.org. And uh, even if they're not a story idea for Maine Currents, maybe they're for another show, that's still the email address you want to send them to, and we'll pass them along to the right folks. This program, along with our other locally produced news and public affairs programs, will be available on our archives at weru.org, so you can download it and share it with anyone who may have missed it. And you can also listen to the on-demand archives of all of our programs there as well. Again, that's weru.org. Stay tuned for On the Wing. Mark Dyer's in the house here on Community Radio, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at weru.org.
WERU Community Radio is made possible by listener support and volunteer power. Thank you. Teach your children well, say the lyrics of Graham Nash, but the song really suggests that we have a lot to learn from our children. Let's take the topic of racism. What have young folks learned about racism from adults and from their own education and experience? What might they teach us? This is Ron Beard, host of Talk of the